and I just, you know, when I see after having spent some time with somebody and helped them, I just, I cannot imagine my life without mentoring being a part of it. I just, I, I, I can't. Welcome to Revelations, the place where we communicate truth to power. I'm Cole Johnson. I'm so glad you're able to join us. Our next guest leads organizations to experience the benefits of mentorship and how it will encourage workforce culture to flow in harmony, improve productivity, and reduce onboarding costs. He offers support for those who suffer from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder as well. Ladies and gentlemen, public speaker and the author of The Gift of Mentoring and You Are Not Alone, Doug Lawrence. And this is his revelation. How are you doing, Doug? I'm doing great, thanks. Good, good, good. I'm glad you're aboard uh, Revelations. I hope that you're at home. Uh, definitely kick back and relax. This, this is going to be a comfortable ride. And since you are our first-time guest, we always want and encourage every first-time guest to open the way. <laughs> Now, Open the Way is where conversation starts when vulnerability enters the room. Uh, you, sir, are, well, I'm in the United States. You are north of the border. So you're Canadian. Saskatchewan is your province. So how was it being a child growing up in Regina? So I actually, well, Regina is my home today now. Yeah. But I grew up on a on a farm just uh about a mile from a small community called Meskinaw. And um, I'm born and raised on the farm, and I, I stayed on the farm until I graduated from high school in 19... Oh, this is a test on my memory. Uh, <laughs> 1972. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, helped... To, it was a family farm, so helped take the crop off and in the fall of... 72, I guess it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the fall of 72 and um, ended up uh, getting a job as a security uh, guard or security officer in in the city of Saskatoon in one of their big malls, eventually from there to uh, providing security at a potash mine 
outside of Saskatoon and then eventually joining the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. So what was it like growing up? It, it was uh, it was interesting because uh, we, we lived on the farm. So as the oldest of two, I spent a lot of time um, a lot of time doing farm, farm like chores and stuff, you know, cause we had cattle that had to be fed. We had crops that had to be harvested and all of that sort of stuff. So I at a very early age was, I had the added responsibility of being part of the, the family, so to speak, that was going to take the crop off and do all those things. So. Okay. Wow. Heavy responsibility. Okay, so, uh, all right. So, describe a day on the farm when you were a child. Wow. Um, up bright and early, so probably up at six a.m. Up to feed the cattle, and then come in and get cleaned up, have a bit of breakfast, and then catch the bus uh, to. It was a 18, 18 mile bus ride to go to school. And this was sort of in my, I guess my latter high school years of grade 10, 11 and 12, where I, I had the responsibilities, you know, to still be part of the, the crew, the working crew for the farm. So um, I would end up, like I said, catching the bus, going to school. And sometimes I'd get taken out of school because they needed me at home to drive the tractor or, or stack the bales of hay or whatever haul I drive the grain truck there was you name it I probably have done it so I would be as I we used to call it I got pulled from school to go and do the the harvest especially in harvest time so that was that would be that was my average I guess my average day uh, in the life of Doug Lawrence on the farm (laughs) oh man Hard work as always. Uh, any bur- any person I talk to who's had to grow up on the farm, yeah, they they say, yeah, long days, <laughs> long days. You're tired at night. Oh my. Okay, so what intrigued you uh, growing up? What 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 were things you liked to do? I would eventually. I ended up getting to a stage where I was. Uh, I actually got hired by a hockey team to be one of their, I was the hometown linesman to officiate the hockey game. So, and eventually it progressed itself into working at higher levels and so on and so forth. And, and I guess one of the things that stands out for me the most is I went to uh, Banff, Alberta to the, I guess it was the Banff school at the time where the National Hockey League was running a referee camp. And so I got to go to that. I went to that two years in a row. And it was, it was really, and even to this very day, I can still see some of the, some of the guys, because what it was, you were skating alongside of referees and linesmen that when you went home and the winter season started, you actually saw those same guys, skating on the on the hockey ice on television because they were the officials for the national hockey league so it was it went i know that guy oh i know that one too (laughs) that is awesome wow okay 
how does that not surprise me? You, you're, <laughs> you, you, you live a life as a mentor and you trained to be a referee, which uh, is, I know it's officiating and it's a little different than mentorship, but uh, you can somewhat guide uh, players to do the right thing. But uh, <laughs> uh, I digress. All right. So uh, what lesson did, what, what one lesson, if you could think of any, that your parents teach you that you use today? Wow. Um, you know, it, it, it was, I used it more so as I got older. And it, it was, it was my father uh, who had said that you're going to work with a number of different people over the course of your career. I encourage you to look at each and every one of them as individuals. And I encourage you to look for the good things that they do and the not so good things they do. Take and mold the good things that they do to become part of who you are going to be and cast aside the not so good. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, your father was wise just in that particular statement alone. My goodness. Yeah. So what was the most beautiful thing about your childhood? You know, the most beautiful thing, when I think back now, the most beautiful thing about my childhood was the relationship I had with my mother. Mm. Mom and I would go, we used to work together, you know, side by side. We'd be out in the fields bailing uh, straw for for the cattle, and she'd be driving the, the tractor, and I'd be riding. Back then, it was called a, a slip. It was basically a wood, couple pieces of wood tacked together. And what you'd do is you'd stack the bales on there until you got, I think it was 15, and then you'd take a crowbar, jam it in the ground, and the, the bales would slide slide off. And it was always used to give mom the gears all the time because she sometimes she'd stop the, the tractor. And then when she'd get going again to get so we could continue on, she'd pop the clutch. And every time she popped the clutch, I'd go flying off the back end of the no. uh, the unit. So it got better as time went on and we we were able to 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 uh, buy a, a proper stacker to have so that you you at least had some place to hang on and didn't have to worry about dear mom popping the clutch all the time. We'll be right back with more Doug Lawrence. This is Revelation. What's on E. Dicker's mind? A and B, I'm going to see my way out of it. Because why? I don't care. I have a message for people who do nothing but complain about black people. We can't change who we are. You call the cops on me? I think that every time... You call the cop on someone on a false accusation. Yo need to be a little bit punished. BS3 Network proudly presents a man with a lot to say 
and is unabashed to say it. What's on E-Digger's mind? Sundays at 7.30 p.m. Central. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. If you're looking for a sports program that gives you the flavor. Washington Commanders? Really? This whole thing stinks to high heaven. That pulls no punches. Thuggish act by a thuggish actor. That gives you some humor. Praise everything LeBron does and never criticize it. If you want a show that gives you good times, then this is that show. BS3 Network proudly presents. I am Cole Johnson and welcome to Cole Sports with a Z. Every Friday on Patreon and every Saturday on YouTube, Spreaker, and all other outlets. Public speaker, author, and mentor, Doug Lawrence, joins me on Revelations. He has opened the way quite beautifully. And now it is time for us to walk across the bridge to prosperity. Now, the Bridge of Prosperity, we link childhood lessons with adult application. Now, you mentioned in the last segment that you had a job as a security officer and as a Mountie. So how was life as a security officer and then later on a Mountie? Uh, You know, the security officer role. So I was providing security for stores in a shopping mall and we we always typically worked in in pairs and i guess the one thing that sort of stands out certainly from that aspect was number one it, it kind of gave me the grounding that i i needed for being able to consider whether or not i really truly did want to go into the police force mm-hmm. um so that that part was was there but what it also did was it it demonstrated helped me better understand and demonstrated for me the significance or importance of relationships, especially those that are individuals that have, are supposed to have your back, so to speak, if you, you know, you're dealing with uh, somebody who is not welcome in the shopping plaza because of behavior or whatever, and you're having to escort them out, that to do that sometimes by yourself was a bit challenging and, this way here, um, you always knew you had somebody who had your back, and that was that was important. Mm-hmm. And then when I, you know, kind of fast forward to my RCMP, I, you know, I I had applied on becoming a police officer with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, mm-hmm. but I had also applied on one of the local uh, city police forces here in in Saskatchewan, and it was ironic that. 
they both came to offer me an opportunity at the same time. And so then I had to make a decision as to which direction I wanted to go. And I fortunately chose the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was the path that I was going to take. And where that came from was that when I still lived on the farm, that the uh, members, the RCM, the police officers on patrol used to stop at, at our farm every so often. Sometimes they'd drop in at dinner time and my dad would always say to mom, you know, put another potato in the pot. We got company and the, you know, the, the two police officers, cause they always seem to r- ride in pairs. Um, they, uh, they take their coat off and come in and sit down and have, have a bite to eat with us. And, and then a couple times they would, uh, when they'd come during the daytime, they'd stop in and I'd be working out in the yard and stuff. And the one time I remember one of the, one of the police officers said, have you ever fired a handgun before Doug? And I went, Nope, never done. He said, let's go find a spot. I got some extra ammunition that we need to fire off. So, And I took him to a spot where I used to go with uh, with my rifle and sight stuff in and do things like that. And so we fired off, I don't know how many rounds, but I was hooked. It, it was all it took was gave me that opportunity. And I got thinking, you know, these guys are really okay. And I think I can be one of them. And and so I did. I applied and was accepted and, and took my training here in Regina. Mm. Although I am not a Canadian, I still thank you for your service and actually protecting people. Uh, any any person who is that selfless, I have to tip my cap and say thank you. Well, thank you. Mm. Okay, so you are a mentor and you just talked about how you became a uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman. If there was a mentor that you have probably shaped and styled the way that you mentor from your days as a Mounted Police officer, who would that be? Hmm. Well, the first person, as soon as you started to describe or frame the question. The first person I thought of was my uncle. Now, he wasn't a police officer, but he was in the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force mm-hmm. and and quite high up in the Air Force. And there was just something about him that I went, you know, lots of people to model yourself after, but just him, he was, he was super special to me, always was and always will be. And a large part of that was because, you know, he had such strong ethical values that, you know, you, you just looked up to him and he cared about people, you know, he cared about his family, his, you know, his wife and his children. And he was just, he was so much fun to be around, Mm. you know, and then if I, if I take a look at outside of that, You know, there's a there's a, in my latter years in the police force in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I would say there was one or two individuals that I thought, you know, here's somebody else that I could model myself after, and um, 
But, you know, as it turned out, I ended up, I, I retired with just 25 years of service and um, it would have been nice to have stayed longer and reap the sort of reap the benefits of being around that person a, a little bit more so that, you know, you can absorb some of their wisdom and knowledge. Right. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That is so wonderful that you can, that you do have a frame of reference because uh, hmm. The best way we can learn how to guide people is to have wonderful examples of how people have guided us. So that is great. That is great. So when you were then uh, Monte Police and even before then a security officer, uh, how were you able to handle advice from others? You know, I, I was I've always been open to advice and guidance from from other people. I. I view th- th- those situations as opportunities for learning. And, you know, just because somebody gives you, just because I give you advice doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, to take that. What I always encourage people is to, including myself, is take a step back and, and ask yourself, you know, a, a number of questions. You know, what, what would be if I take this advice and put it into action, what would be the outcome that c- could take place? And is it an outcome that I would be comfortable with or that I would want to see somebody else having to, to deal with, let alone it being for myself? And so it's, you know, it's, it's all about not closing the door completely to leave the door open, to be flexible enough to be, able to listen and hear when somebody's offering advice and guidance and then being able to kind of break it down, kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces to say, you know, I, I want to give this a try, but I think I'm going to do some modifications to it, or I'm going to try this, or I'm going to try that and, and, and just move forward doing that that way. That makes sense. I, I totally understand that. Totally understand that. So you had guidance, obviously, and you definitely had structure. Uh, but would, um, but how would you describe your life in your twenties? Would you say it was more on the solid side, or more on the turbulent side? And why was it in either direction? It would be. I would have to say turbulent, and a large part of that would be because of uh, the work that I was doing. So I was uh, I was uh, a police officer, and I was stationed uh, in small uh, rural type communities where you had to to deal with uh, uh, you had to be able to communicate crucial conversations. You had to be able to decide or make a decision when when can I talk my way out of something and when do I have to you know become a bit more physical to to get the desired outcome that that I need to have take place um, I, I just because of because of all the things that I had to deal with the the trauma that came with that I just you know I I think that that's that that has that's helped in some some respects in shaping who I am today, and I 
I would suggest that it also has helped in in my mentoring practice where I'm dealing with, you know, people that are dealing with some pretty serious stuff and I'm able to not necessarily relate because we all relate to things differently, but I'm able to sort of help that individual break it down into something that they can better understand, maybe digest it a little bit easier and hopefully then be able to come to some conclusion on how they're going to deal with it going forward. with Doug Lawrence after the break. Coca-Cola is the perfect soft drink for the holidays. Whether you're a young adult or a seasoned vet, eating tacos, soul food, or a traditional holiday meal, Coca-Cola pairs with it all. Picture this, sitting down with your family, friends, eating a delicious meal with a Coca-Cola on the table. There's nothing better. Better yet, watching your favorite football team score a touchdown with the coca-cola in your hand enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family delicious food and of course an ice cold coke the holidays always find a way coca-cola of course steph curry tim anderson Jordan alvarez and it's caught Debo Samuel with the catch. Michael Jordan can sense the throw just got the king. BS3 Network. The hottest of hot takes. The coldest of cold hard facts. This is Snowman in the Morning with Cole Johnson. Weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. Alicia. You can't hold somebody to that standard if you haven't voiced what you want mm-hmm. and what you're needing from that. Mika. If you're not communicating expectations, you're waiting for your feelings to be hurt. Nicole. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to take the time out to be alone and to get themselves together. Ivan. You got to be willing to work through stuff. And from the jump street, y'all done had problems. Maybe you don't need to be working through those. BS3 Network proudly presents... Queen 3 and King Podcast. Live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central. Public speaker, author, and mentor, and former police officer, Doug Lawrence, joins me on Revelations. He has opened the way and walked across that bridge, and now it is time for us to get behind the purpose. Now, this is the reason why we function the way we do. 
part of your how can I phrase this in the way that I think it's just uh, part of I guess part of the your makeup part of the way you move and the way you have your being is the fact that you are open about having PTSD so when were you first diagnosed with it it, it was you know it was more of a self-diagnosis than anything else and that was largely due to the fact that where I was and at that particular time period, there, there wasn't a support structure in place for, for helping people deal with mental health. And so you were kind of, you know, you've probably heard the story of, you know, people saying to somebody who has mental health issues, you know, suck it up, buttercup and get on with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So this whole stigmatism around that and, so I was dealing with some very traumatic stuff and I had no one to, to basically debrief what just took place. I had nobody that I could go to and, and be able to, to deal with. So I didn't, I knew something wasn't right because I didn't like who I had become or, and who I was becoming more of. And I was, I had, um, proposed to my future uh, wife-to-be, and I was becoming concerned that, you know, my behavior and that might bring that to an end and not a happy ending. So I, I knew something wasn't right, but I just, I didn't know who to turn to or where to go to deal with it other than, you know, to uh, just talk with her. And she was very good. Deborah was very good at at helping me talk my way through a lot of things. But obviously, as I later found out, it, we, we had come to, when you use the bridge analogy, I, she got me to the bridge, but I didn't cross, I hadn't crossed over yet. Right. And it was cause I didn't think there was an issue. I didn't think there was a problem. I was, I was okay with, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, going out on a call by myself and it being, you know, it could be a sudden death. It could be anything that was traumatic and coming back home and getting home and looking around and there, there the support structure wasn't there. So I went to my next best thing, which was a bottle of scotch whiskey. And I cracked the top through the top away and I drank the pain away. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, 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 to, to officially say when was I diagnosed, it was probably when I started to do my research for my second book. And, and I went, oh, my gosh, that's me and that's my behavior. And then that was, you know, just before, as I was writing it, just before Deborah had passed away, that was when, you know, she actually had said before that that she said, you know, you don't know how lucky or I think she said it to a group of people. He doesn't know how lucky he is because we were very close to we were going to leave him because his behavior was unacceptable and we deserve better than that, which they did. And, you know, so I would say the official diagnosis as to what it was came when I started to do the research for my book. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That, that is something else. 
Okay, so what were some of the other demons? Obviously, alcoholism is one. Uh, dealing with being an officer because people don't ever talk about that and how stressful that could be, I'm sure, was another. Uh, what were some of the other demons which which allowed you to unearth your diagnosis of PTSD? You know, an ever-shrinking inner circle. Ever shrinking, like it, it, it was, it was such that who would want to be around a jerk like me? And you know, I, but I didn't, I didn't get it. I just, I didn't get it. I got thinking, well, you're lost, you know. Um, that was between the alcohol. Fortunately, I didn't do drugs, but between the alcohol and the bad behavior and the bad behavior, we have to understand that that can manifest into a number of different things. Right. Fortunately for, for Deborah and I, it, it didn't get to a stage where I was physically abusive, where that is definitely a, a potential outcome. I think I may have pushed her, not I may, I did, I pushed her once mm-hmm. and then, you know, but, it, you know, no excuses offered. It was, I, well, I believe it was after we had been drinking and it was shortly after as well, having gone on a fairly serious call and having to deal with, you know, processing and, and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah. you diagnosed them. How accepting were you of mental health help around this time? Well, there really wasn't, there wasn't a lot of it. Um, So that was part of the the problem. Like knowing what I know now, I just go, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have, I would have tapped in because we have peer to peer support groups. Um, Mm. You know, I'm, I have two that I go to. I have one that is focusing on mental health and one that's focusing on grief. And I just wish now I would have had access to that or even known about it, you know, years ago. Right. Because it's, it's, it's definitely helped make a difference. It's, it's, it's given me another avenue to help others as, as well. So that part's been good because what I've been able to do is through my own demons, I've been able to say, you're not, you are not alone. You know, that mm. you're, you're going to be able to, I'll walk with you to help you get help. Right. Wow. And you will we'll definitely talk about why those four words are very important to you. Uh, <laughs> because I'm sure that is one of the things you had to, come to terms with so you diagnose yourself with ptsd uh help at the time was little and scarce and scant uh how did you finally break free from the demons that you had and the suffering that you were undergoing i don't think i've i don't think i'm there yet i honestly don't think i'm there um And part of the the thing is is that we don't totally understand post traumatic stress. So we and we don't understand mental health. And we so part of what's when I made that statement to you, I made that from the aspect that grief 
is part of mental health. Right. And a lot of people don't, they don't make that connection, but, but it, it truly is grief is part of, of mental health. And I lost my wife, Deborah in February of 2021. Mm-hmm. And I was, we were just starting to sort of kind of break the crust or, you know, on a, we were getting to a high spot on the roller coaster ride of life. And, and, and I felt that, you know, we were starting to become a, um, a partnership where we could communicate effectively with each other. We had each other's back. We had everything that you could possibly ask for. And we were, you know, friends of ours would say, we wish we had a relationship like the two of you. And so, you know, we had all that. And then Deborah gets diagnosed with cancer in 2020 and, and then passes away in February of 2021. Well, I just, I went in the other direction again, where the grief overtook, um, overtook who I was as a person. And, and I'm still, you know, I'm still struggling. I have my good days and my bad days. Right. Um, you know, weekends are the worst because that's when we used to do all our chores together. And now it's just me. So I'm having to, you know, to deal with, you know, most of that stuff on my own. So um, and then, you know, we all take our significant others for granted a lot of times. And I'll tell you that this, when, it, when, when this happens to you, that you'll find out that time is precious and that, you know, you need to take advantage of every moment that, the, that you have together. Wow. Wow. Well, obviously your wife was and is a very important part of your life. Uh, how essential has she been to shaping you to being the man that you are today? Oh, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom what that would look like. I really, truly can't because she, you know, she knew me inside and out. She knew when something was bothering me and she knew when it was time to listen and hear versus speak, you know, and we both, that was one thing that we were, we, we got to a spot or a a place where we, we communicated so well together. Like, you know, we kind of knew what each other was thinking and, you know, you hear stories. Well, they're not stories there. That's a reality where, you know, two people can get so much in sync with each other that mm-hmm. you, you, the spoken word doesn't have to be spoken anymore. It just, you know what each other's thinking. And, you know, I, I always used to joke and say to her, no, we'll do what you want. Well, what do you mean you're going to do what I want? I said, no, we'll do what you want because it's not the hill I want to die on. Mm. And so, you know, we'd have a little chuckle about that or we'd have that conversation with friends and stuff like that. And they'd say, we, you know, we just don't understand how, you know, how did you get so lucky getting a guy like Doug who just, you know, nothing seems to bother him. And I would always say, it's not the hill I want to die on.
more with Doug Lawrence on the other side. Quinn. Moment of clarity. I haven't watched BET in years. KP. Drake needs to come back with another the triple platinum album. E Digger. And then you have Ray J. Like, I can't Ray stand J. that river cricket. The Guru. Okay, the level of crack she's smoking, I don't want it. BS3 Network proudly presents the Knucklehead Chronicles Podcast, where from car tips to hot topics to meet me of the week, anything goes live every Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Central. If it wasn't consensual, you got to protect the parties. You got to be cautious. But this is two consensual adults. There's nothing to protect. Why is El Jefe? Could that be? Could could it be that? Could it be that? that He's not getting the box all the time. He's not getting that slobber knocker. BS3 Network proudly presents the crew from the New York boroughs who never wants that smoke. Nah. They want that BJNY's El Jefe, Fridays at 10 p.m. Central. Check your local listings for your viewing and listening pleasure. You want to watch these interviews commercial free? Well, now you can. Revelations is on Patreon. Become a patron today. Public speaker, author, and former police officer Doug Lawrence joins me in Revelations. He has opened the way, walked across the bridge. He has given us the reason why he is the way he is. And now it is time to bring all of that to light. Now, all of us shine in a unique way, and in Doug's example, you definitely are not an exception to that statement. So you've talked about your walk to and even at at this moment through (laughs) as you were approaching (laughs) your uh, way through and beyond PTSD. So what benefit do you get in healing others who suffer from the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress uh, disorder? Uh, You know, I think it's, well, number one is that it, the satisfaction I get is being able to help somebody, um, number one, go on that healing journey. And number two, you know, obviously is to get as close to being healed as we possibly can get them. You know, so because there will always be setbacks and and we just need to know that and we just need to be able to work together to be able to to deal with that. 
you know, I, sometimes people say, you know, so you do, you do lots of things that you don't charge for and all that sort of stuff. And so what's in it for you? Like how, what do you get from it? And it's the little things that, you know, that people don't understand. Like I, one of the people I'm, I'm mentoring even to this day, um, she's a sweetheart and she, she, uh, she got married a few years ago. She's had uh, two children and she, when she got married, she invited me to the wedding and at the wedding reception, her husband and her came up to me and said, we could not have imagined having this wedding without you being present. And so, you know, because you've been such a integral part of our life and you've helped us out, you know, through, through your sage advice and guidance that we just, we couldn't even begin to imagine having, you know, having our wedding without you being here. So you talked earlier about your book. You are well. You mentioned the title of it. You didn't even say the book, but you mentioned the title of it. You are not alone. Looking at your life now, and judging by the book that you wrote, who made sure that you were not alone, or I should say, who makes sure that you are not alone during your time of suffering? I have. Number one, it would be my daughter. Number two would be I have a peer-to-peer support group uh, that has three other members that belong to that group. And th- that's that's my support structure. Mm. Wow. And, and, you know, it's like everything else when somebody asks you to create a list or tell me who you're always saying, Oh no, I should have thought of that. (laughs) Cause I, I do, I'm truly blessed in that I can pick up the phone today and make two calls. And I will, I'm, I can guarantee that if I make two calls, at least one out of those two people will meet me for a cup of coffee. And, and we, sometimes we come in, sit down, we've got our coffee or hot chocolate, whatever it is we're having and we'll start talking and the tears will start to flow. And it's because we both have been there and we're both experiencing similar feelings. But it's just nice to know that, you know, I'm not alone and that there's someone else who understands what it is I'm going through. There's someone else that gets what I'm going through. And, you know, there's someone else that's knows that sometimes all you have to do is just listen and hear. We don't, you know, we don't expect, nor do we want you to say, well, if it was me, I would do this. I don't really care what you would do, to be honest. I just want you to listen and hear, (laughs) right? So, Right. Right. Yeah. And that is important. I mean, yes, offering advice is one important tool in terms of helping somebody get past a hurt or pain, but making sure that person feels as though they are heard is another. And quite honestly, it's a bigger aspect to helping somebody heal than it is. If you feel as though you're compelled to offer advice that they may or may not be ready to accept or even hear. You know, the best advice that I can give today to somebody, somebody is that, 
if you don't know what to say to somebody who you, you know is going through mm-hmm. grieving, say that. I'm sorry. Uh, exactly. I, I want to help you, but I don't know what to say. I don't know what right. to do. And and yeah. let and let that grieving person decide which path to, to you know mm-hmm. that you want them to take. Right. Right. And to that end, my condolences on the loss of your wife. Thank you. Uh, and you you talked about the the uh, peer groups that you've created and the fact that you want to make sure that you aren't alone during your suffering. And it helps, of course, when you have that support system to not suffer. Uh, you also wrote another book about the gift of mentoring. So why do you consider mentoring a gift? Well, uh, largely because it is a gift. So, uh, you know, that to be able to, so if you take a look at the gift of mentoring, it's kind of the basic, basic mentoring 101, as I like to describe it, where there's some case stories and some, some personal reflection and stuff like that. And, and my own personal reflection and, and stuff like that. And the idea behind it was that we talk lots about mentoring, but we don't really truly know. And I, I was at a time period probably back in 1992 or so that I was doing all these good things, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was I was doing. I didn't know what it was called. It had to have a name because everybody wanted me to do it. So it had to have a name. And, and that's when I found out that it it was mentoring. And, and it was at that point then that I went, okay, we need to kind of take a look a little deeper, richer look at this because I think we can help a lot of people who are dealing with all kinds of different stuff I think we can help them through the gift of mentoring. And we started to do that. And people said, how come, how come it took you so long to write this? Wow. I had, I had one person say, you know, it's an easy read, but the thing that stood out for me was it was like having you sitting on a park bench beside me and reading this book to me. I heard your voice in every every sentence, every paragraph, every page, every chapter, I heard your voice speak out to me. And she, and it was, it was actually a lady who said, you know, you, this is absolutely, this needed to be written years ago. Wow. Yeah. Now that is a compliment and a half. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Well, it is obvious that you have a heart that is so ready to embrace others and to help them on their journey and to not feel so boxed in, so hurt, so rife with grief. And you're so able in giving to not have someone suffer. So why is mentorship such an important aspect of your life? It, it it gives me the number one. It's it's very much relationship focused, and I need relationships to to survive. Um, COVID was not my best friend because 
couldn't meet face to face. Did lots of virtual stuff, but you know, still I still enjoy the physical meet meets that we have. You know, where we meet face to face over a cup of coffee or something like that. So mm-hmm. it, it's and I just you know when I see after having spent some time with somebody and helped them and and you know you get the odd you know thank you so much for what it is that you do you get that in return and stuff like that i just i cannot imagine my life without mentoring being a part of it i just i i i can't because i get to see so many wonderful people i get to help so many wonderful people i get to you know to help people develop their critical thinking skills simply by asking a couple questions. And, and from there, you know, they begin their journey and I walk beside them. And that's important to me. Author, public speaker, and former police officer, Doug Lawrence, joining me here on Revelations. And it is now time in the show where we go plug tuning. And this is the part of the show where the guest gets to plug or promote anything to his or her heart's desire. Of course, in this case, it is his. And without further ado, Doug, the floor is yours. Thanks very much. Well, we've talked about the two books. So The Gift of Mentoring and You Are Not Alone, both are, um, actually, I should back up and, and just indicate that You Are Not Alone is a Amazon number one bestseller. So thought I'd throw that out there for, for your audience as well. But the two books, You Are Not Alone and The Gift of Mentoring are both available on amazon.com and .ca. So please uh, take a look. There is a Kindle version for those of you that are so inclined, um, as well as the, uh, the soft copy uh, as well. Uh, you can, if you want to learn more about what it is that I do, you can check me out on LinkedIn and just search on Doug Lawrence and my profile should uh, hopefully pop up and you can go through and take a look at that. Um, don't spend a lot of time on Twitter, so I'm not going to give you that one. And Facebook, uh, probably a little bit. If you search on my name, I'm sure you'll find me and we can figure out what we're going to do from there. And then my website is www.talentc. So the word talent with the letter C on the end dot CA. And there's some information and stuff. And there's also a contact me button that you can, uh, you can uh, click on and it'll give you a screen to fill in. And what you can do then is send that off to me and I'll get back to you. I can even then, from there, I can set up a, a calendar appointment for us to have a, a conversation. Um, in fact, I've got one, I think it's tomorrow, Thursday, from somebody that uh, came in through the website and, and wants to have a chat about pers- being personally mentor- mentored. So there's, there's that part of it. And then the last thing you can do is, if those are 
not in your in your wheelhouse, then uh, please feel free to send me an email at Doug dot Lawrence and that's L A W R E N C E at Talent C. So the word Talent letter C on the end dot C A, and I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. And I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, yes, lift up this resource, this human resource. He is such a rich human being. And when I mean rich, I mean internally so. Uh, Author, podcaster, I'm sorry, author, my bad, author, public speaker, and former police officer, Doug Lawrence. Join me on Revelations. I appreciate your time, Doug. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This has been a really, really therapeutic conversation. So thank you for that. Oh, that does my heart good. Thank you. Wow. Webster's Dictionary, the word means a trusted counselor or guide. It takes a special person with a calm demeanor to execute being an effective mentor. Mr. Doug Lawrence has that demeanor. I learned from him that it takes a kind-hearted soul to care for other individuals. No question, he is up to the task. The Bible says, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Being willing to stand in the gap for others and showing them the way to a better day takes a lot of compassion. In this conversation, I learned firsthand that there are people in the world who want to change it for the better. With someone like that, it gives me hope to keep going. Many thanks to Doug Lawrence for giving us his perspective on life. And why don't you join us every Tuesday on YouTube and every Friday on the BS3 Network, where you will see a different person be a guest and be interviewed by me each and every week. For changing the world one conversation at a time. I am Cole Johnson, and this has been Revelations. Tuning into Revelations. To download this episode, go to ACAST and type Revelations. For apparel, go to Spring and type Revelations. Music by Lakey Inspired. Inspired.